Good morning and welcome to the Coffee and Cap Rates podcast, your go-to source for New York City's latest commercial real estate insights. This program is brought to you by Ariel Property Advisors. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Coffee and Cap Rates, a podcast where we break down the commercial investment sales market in New York City. Shimon, I am here with you today. Thank you so much for being here. As an analyst on our team, we have just finished up our mid-year sales reports. So I thought this was a really interesting and exciting time to hear what you have to say. I know we're at a very interesting time in the market. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Remy. I'm happy to be here and uh, happy to share some statistics that we put together. That's great. So let's dive right in. I know we have a lot of really great information. Let's talk about overall New York City investment sales market. What did we see for the first half of 2019? Well, the first half of... uh... 2019 in New York City investment sales, all product types. Uh, we saw only 16.3 billion dollars in total consideration. That is that consisted of 1,070 transactions, or 1,329 buildings that were sold in the first half of 2019. If you compare it to the first half of 2018, exactly a year before that, that's a 25% decline in dollar volume and a 15% decline in transaction volume. And you can see from the charts, if you go to our reports, you can see from the charts that we're back to 2012 levels in terms of dollar volume of transactions. Did all the sub-markets kind of follow the same pattern as overall New York City? Were they all completely down, really negative as well? No. Actually, each one of the bars acted or performed differently. So Queens, for example, remained flat. There were no changes in transaction volume. Uh, Manhattan dropped 32%. Northern Manhattan dropped 21%. Brooklyn dropped 27%. And the Bronx actually increased by 23% compared to the first half of 2018. So that's actually really interesting with the Bronx going up but the rest of the submarkets going down. I know this is a really great spot to transition as the Bronx market did well because of the development industrial transactions. So let's switch gears and talk specifically about the development market in New York City. What do we see here? It's exactly what you said. It's a mixed bag. So if we start with the Bronx, we see a 70% increase year over year in the number of transactions, $278 million dollars specifically land traded in the Bronx in the first half of 2019. One of the reasons for that is the opportunity zones. So if you look specifically at opportunity zone transactions, that's $177 million or 13 transactions that took place in the first half of 2019 in the Bronx. That's 64% total dollar volume. So opportunity zones played a major role in that borough. Manhattan dropped land transactions, developing transactions. Manhattan below 96 Street dropped by 85% in the first half of 2019 as a result of developers' preference to build mostly rentals and a lot less condominiums in general in the city. Northern Manhattan stayed pretty much flat with a minus 6% in land transactions. Brooklyn also stayed somewhat flat with a minus 5%. Queens remained actually flat with no changes in land transactions for the first half of the year. 
Okay, so we're contributing a lot of Manhattan's decrease in dollar volume to a softening condo market. Do you think that's going to happen in the boroughs or maybe not necessarily? Manhattan's going to be first and some will follow suit. In the boroughs today, for the most part, unless it's really affordable condominium, so to speak, we are seeing a trend to build or to buy to build rental projects, multifamily rental projects, especially if it's an opportunity zone because you have less expensive capital going into these areas. But even if it's not opportunity zone, we see the tendency of developers buying land to build rental buildings. The affordable New York tax abatement provides a great advantage. That's one of the elements that stayed almost 100%, almost 100% intact when it comes to the new changes in rent stabilization regulation. And I think that's part of what's helping the boroughs in terms of land and land values. So you mentioned rent stabilization, and I know our listeners are probably very eager, and that's the multifamily submarket is the one that people are talking about. But I think it was really interesting when we brought up the opportunity zones, especially in the Bronx with those two largest sales. The Lightstone Group acquired 355 Exterior Street. That was in an opportunity zone at $125 a buildable. So that's way above the average, and I think that we're definitely going to see opportunity zones in the Bronx continuing on in the future. So let's talk about the multifamily market, the market that everyone wants to know the details. I know in June 14th, legislation was enacted. Do you mind just explaining a little bit to our listeners what ha- what the Tenant Protection Act of 2019 is? Yes, June 14, 2019 is the day that law was coming into effect. And in general, what it did is when you have a rent-stabilized unit, the legislator made sure that that rent-stabilized unit stays stabilized forever with no substantial increases but RGB guidelines, rent guideline board guide increases, which really means 1.5% for a one-year lease and 2.5% for a two-year lease as of today. And that's a major change compared to what the law was prior to June 14. Prior to June 14, upon vacancy of a rent-stabilized unit, an owner could get a vacancy bonus, an owner could rehab the apartment and get a substantial increase in the rent moving forward, and the owner could also destabilize the unit over time. That is gone. So that, that presents a different opportunity or a different challenge, depending on how you look at it, for rent for owners of uh, rent-stabilized multifamily buildings, and uh, we definitely believe that will affect that market moving forward, and we see it already. Do you mind taking a step back a little? I know we harped right on the June 14th, but how did the multifamily market actually perform in the first half? I know investors were cautious and awaiting those regulations. So did they move? Did they transact? Did they not transact? What exactly happened? First six months of 2019 for the multifamily market were a period of time where people were looking to see what is going to happen. There was uncertainty, and that definitely affected Transaction volume. Dollar volume overall went down 34% compared to the first half of, of 18. Transaction volume went down 27%. And all boroughs declined. Uh, Northern Manhattan declined by 50%. Manhattan by 24%. The Bronx declined by 21%. Brooklyn by 49%. And Queens by 12%. So all the boroughs were affected uh, by the multifamily market anticipation and, and the new regulation anticipation in the first half of the year. That definitely makes sense. I know investors are waiting. So now that we know what the legislation entails, 
How do we see the multifamily market reacting towards this for the rest of the 2019? So I think the first thing that we're seeing is that we're in a reset period. Everybody's kind of sitting and waiting, reevaluating their assets, reevaluating their buying decisions, their selling decisions. I can tell you from our company, and you know that firsthand, we've changed all of our underwriting criteria for multifamily buildings. I think that uh, what is going to happen based on what we're hearing and what we know and how we analyze things is that each pricing for multifamily, for rent stabilized multifamily buildings will soften a lot first six months of the year. We think transaction volume will be low, probably as low if not lower than it was in the first six months of the year as people reevaluate. And we'll, so that, we'll see that softening in pricing depending on the number of rent stabilized units within the asset how deeply stabilized these units are. So what is the loss to lease? What is the actual number or rent that the uh, unit captures compared to what it could if this was a fair market unit? And the third element that we're looking at is location. So that is really what's happening. It's, it's important to say that some multifamily assets will be affected very little, if, if at all, and we can talk about that. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to ask you. So which multifamily asset classes or asset types will be less affected by these new legislations as compared to those who will be most affected. So the first type is the free market buildings or free market units. They will not be affected by the legislation. They will be traded very similar to what they were before. If they have a value-add component, their cap rates will be still low. If they do not have a value-add component, their cap rates will have to be in a stabilized manner and probably depending on location anywhere in the fours or fives in terms of capitalization rates for free market buildings. Some people will tell you, well, we expect free market units to go up in value. I think that will not necessarily be the case. It's going to be more stable compared to, to what it was before. Old 421A rental buildings, these are buildings that essentially act as free market buildings if they have a big gap between the preferential lease and the actual legal rent. So these are units that sometimes have a 10, 20, 30% gap. Uh, these will be affected because all of these units are stabilized, but they're not going to be affected as much because their rents are relatively high and relatively at market for the most part. Also, when a 421A expires, there's an opportunity to destabilize these units over time. Some affordable housing multifamily assets that have project-based Section 8 with a feature that's marked up to market, will not be affected because they usually act very similar to free market buildings. So these are some examples of different asset classes within the multifamily asset class that might be affected less. I think we're going to have a very interesting second half of 2019. We've already seen some investors kind of pulling back on those who own rent-stabilized multifamily buildings taking back on some of their capital expenditures and improvements. So it's going to be interesting to see how landlords and investors are going to really treat those who currently own multifamily buildings, how they're going to treat those properties in the future. We also have landlords and investors who are trying to sue the city, saying that those new regulations that they put in are unconstitutional. So it's going to be very unique and very interesting to see what happens. And I'm really glad you were here today to talk to us about the first half of 2019. So thank you so much. And I look forward to picking your brain again. This was really interesting. 
Uh, thank you. Uh, you know, one, one of the things that you, you started mentioning is landlords, and I think that's interesting as well. Landlords like Blackstone mentioned they're not going to put capital into their buildings, and we're, this is something that we're hearing from pretty much every single landlord that owns rent-stabilized multifamily units. So that's something that the city should take into consideration. And unfortunately, moving forward, we will see uh, more dilapidated buildings. These things don't happen overnight. They happen over time. So that's something to keep in mind. In terms of the second half of 2019, we spoke about it, but I think transaction volume will come down, comparatively speaking, or stay where it is. Pricing for the rent-stabilized multifamily asset class would soften significantly. And uh, residential rental developments in the boroughs will probably be strong just because of opportunity zones and affordable New York. Uh, Remy, I want to thank you for, for putting this together. And um, I look forward to, this, to January to see where we are with the numbers again and transacting more. I also want to say thank you to our listeners. Please feel free to go to our website, arielpa.com, for our research reports and our insights page. Tune in next time for our next episode of Coffee and Cap Rates. See you soon.